Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. Leighton and I are both dude, huge fans of your stuff. Yes. So we have like well, actual questions for you. <laughs> for once. Yeah, we've yeah. decided to be professional for a single episode. <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. Do you remember when this was, Leighton? It was probably before you and I started following each other on Twitter. I remember Leighton being like, oh, we should get Kevin on the show. This is like probably six months ago. Yeah, if not longer. Yeah. And then uh, how did we find each other on Twitter? Were you talking about? NSP or something? Yeah. It was on my like Spotify artist of the year. Oh, sweet. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I sent that post to Brian and I was like, we have to get him on the show, dude. And that's how it happened. <laughs> I live in an apartment complex that instead of allowing us to have our own Wi-Fi's, they just set up 60 routers around the <gasps> complex. What? And they're all public. Oh my God. And they're just like, go at them. <laughs> and, and it's awful. I'm moving. But <laughs> partly because of this, and I was like, can I have my own Wi Fi? They're like, no. They're like, we have 60 routers around the property. Just pick one. And they all have different Wi Fi's. And so I have to just bounce from Wi Fi to Wi Fi. And then eventually I'll find one and it's good for like three or four hours. And then I'll just shit out. Oh my God. Do you guys know? I was actually wondering this the other day. What is the reason that you have to restart? Wi-Fi to like reset it. Specifically, what is going on? You know, it's like a pipeline and it's getting clogged with packets or something. Does either of you understand code-wise or whatever is happening that you need to reset? I don't know. Magic? No. <laughs> really <laughs> shitty magic because it never works? I can tell you what happens on my end is that my ISP, my internet provider, they can tell what device is using too much and they'll just shut down that router. Oh, and they'll just be like, no more for you. What? You know, I download giant files all the time because I have to make my videos. Like if I download like a gigabyte file, they're like, okay, let's find out what router is doing this. Boom, dead. <laughs> it's some automatic system that when it detects that one router is taking up too much of the internet, it kills it. Say so throttle you on purpose. You can't even call it throttling because they just shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not like they make it slower. They're just like, nope, boop. Just full asphyxiation. I would imagine this always happens right before a deadline when you're really trying to finish something. Yeah, yeah. Or it, it usually happens like exactly like a time like this, like something I'm excited for. And then it's yeah. like, oh, we're uh, today we're not going to allow you on. Then I like just go and watch Netflix. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my old apartment complex in Georgia had a very similar shitty router situation that was like complete free for all. But the like routers were in our apartment unit, but in a locked like wall thing. So you can't get to them. Oh, really? So you couldn't reset them? No, God, you had to put in a management request. And at this place, there was a huge problem with like management and maintenance coming in without warning. So like a dude walked in the apartment while I had just gotten out of the shower once. Terrible apartment. Don't recommend. 
but we were working on Dream Daddy, the game that we made, and I was on Skype calls constantly, and they were constantly cutting out. And there was one morning where, like, the BBC (laughs) reached out and was like, hey, we want to do an interview with you right the fuck now. And I had to, like, sprint in my pajamas to Starbucks and (laughs) sit in a corner (laughs) and get interviewed by the BBC. Have you seen that that classic picture of the person on an iMac in a Starbucks? Like a full 27-inch iMac (laughs) that they brought into a Starbucks? I think about that picture a lot. I saw an image of a guy with a full-screen, like, 40-inch TV on a bus. (laughs) (laughs) Watching it? (laughs) Yeah. That's astonishing. The ultimate in comfort and entertainment. (laughs) I want to break with form here and get the introductions out of the way now, because we have some stuff we want to get into with our guest today. So, Leighton. Are you going to make me introduce the show? (laughs) I'll do it. No, 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 no. No, no. Please. You know what? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everybody, this is Leighton Knight with Brian Wecht over there. That's Leighton. Yeah, what's up? That was Brian. Hi. And mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Kevin Perger, and I run a documentary YouTube channel about theme parks and themed entertainment. How was that? Did I do a good job? Crushed it. That was perfect. Did you say the name of your channel in that introduction? No, I didn't. (laughs) Tight. (laughs) Doesn't matter. You'll find it. Who cares, land? (laughs) It's called Defunct Land. YouTube.com slash DefunctLand or DefunctLand.com. And you have a Patreon, correct? I also have a Patreon, Patreon.com slash DefunctLand. Yeah, so we do documentaries. I do a podcast very intermittently. And whenever I find a guest that I like, I want to interview about like an attraction. My most recent one, we did an episode on the Toys R Us Times Square giant toy store. And I interviewed the former manager of that. I saw that. Yeah. And then we also have a VR experience. We have a volunteer-run preservation project, and we just recently released a ride-through of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is an old Disney attraction that we recreated in VR. So you can relive your memories of being in the cramped sub at uh, Disney World. (laughs) But I think the documentaries is where I'm usually at, or the videos, depending on what era you're watching of my channel. That's an amazing amount of stuff, man. It sounds like three full-time jobs, essentially. Thank you. It is. <laughs> it's never a bad day. I feel like a dad being like, never a bad day fishing or whatever that saying is. It's like, never a bad day when you're just talking about theme parks. And I also have a spinoff series called Defunct TV. And we do history little documentaries, Ken Burns style, on children's television shows from different eras. So we did a six-part series on Jim Henson and all of his television shows. We've done stuff from the 90s on PBS, Nickelodeon, and Disney, stuff from the 80s, stuff from the 70s, and then even some stuff from the 2000s. So if you have been a child and you had a television, <laughs> there might be something on my channel for you, just even if you've never gone near an amusement park. The children's TV thing is fun because not everyone can get to a theme park. Like, who doesn't have memories of stuff that really impacted them as a kid? I just found out, I can't remember where it was, maybe Peacock or something, And I found out they have all of Double Dare on it. Paramount Plus, yeah. Shit. Oh, it's Paramount. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and that's actually exactly why I created that series is because I love talking about theme parks. And the channel, it goes in-depth onto why certain rides, parks, things close. Defunct Lane, it's about closed rides. But I talk about things that are no longer there, if that wasn't already implied. And theme parks are just a fascinating, you know, realm because these larger-than-life experiences, they're an art form that really doesn't get talked about that much. But they also have a price to them that they're very expensive places to go. And, and in that way, you limit your audience. And if I'm trading you know, somewhat in 
your memories or nostalgia. You know, I wanted to expand the audience and children's television shows were a great way to do it because most everyone had access to a television. And if they didn't, a lot of the shows we do were shown in schools as well. Right. So it was a way of kind of expanding the scope and getting more people in the audience involved. The thing I love about Defunct TV is people just having these weird flashbacks. They've never seen the television show that they clicked on, or so they thought, and then they click on it, and I get the comment all the time that said, I had no idea what you were talking about. I've never heard of the show until the 15-minute mark in this video when you showed me a clip, and I was, like, taken back to childhood. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's a really interesting thing to do, to talk about something so early in child development and how important, you know, that is as well for these television shows, especially because most of them we talk about are educational or inspirational or something of that nature. So I have a question slash comment. It's more of a comment than a question. Don't go full Audrey on me, (laughs) Ryan. But I think if you went into Defunct Land with no context, I think there is a thing that happens online when we talk about stuff from when we were kids where it's like a very fetishistic form of nostalgia that's very like glossing over all the bad parts and sort of whitewashing for lack of a better term. And I think one of the things that works so well about your channel is that you are so transparent about the shittiness that happens behind the scenes along with like clearly having a deep love for the thing. Like I sent a video to Brian the other day of John Waters talking and saying like, you have to really love something to make fun of it in a way that isn't like exhausting. So how do you like skate around sort of the idea of how people fetishize nostalgia in your own work? That's one of the better questions that I've ever been asked. Honestly, it's something I work very hard to do. We're dealing with, you know, things from people's childhoods. And I think a lot of the inclination of people is to kind of look at that and be like, oh, that's cute. You know, you're playing off nostalgia and you're doing history. You're talking about why these things exist and stuff like that. But the idea that theme parks or television shows or whatever I'm talking about is disconnected from harsh reality of the world is completely incorrect. And so what I like to do on the show is I want to talk about the issues or the social climate at the time these were created, especially with my most recent, I split Defunct Land into seasons and I'm on season three right now. It's taken me like three years, so it doesn't make sense anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The season three is a chronological, in a way, every episode leads into the next and it's telling the story of the history of, you know, Walt and where he got the idea for Disneyland and then eventually his idea for Epcot, which was his futuristic city and how that was eventually turned into a theme park. But the overarching theme is kind of humanity's idea of futurism and what the future looks like and how that's changed over the years, kind of the Tomorrowland idea. So that plays a lot into, you know, the whole optimism and nostalgia. And and with the most recent work, that's the main juxtaposition is how you know, nostalgia plays into futurism. I don't think you're truly able to like something if you're not actually engaging with it. Fully agree, yeah. It's basically like a warm acknowledgement if you don't truly understand what you're consuming. If you're consuming something like a theme park that has to be built by a giant company, even with the rose-colored glasses of the theme park, there's stuff happening that is worth talking about and I think increases your appreciation for the good parts of it while also giving you a more nuanced view of it as a whole. And so I think a good example, I just did an episode on this attraction that used to be at Disneyland called Adventure Through Inner Space. And Adventure Through Inner Space was sponsored by the Monsanto Chemical Company. Hmm. And this attraction existed from 1967 to 1985 or six. Its lifespan was the Vietnam era. And so it's this great story about this attraction and these artists that put all this, you know, beauty and energy and kind of like psychedelic 
a nature into a theme park ride because it was the 60s and 70s. And this really, you know, interesting experiment in minimalism and some truly brilliant artistry. And then you also have it being sponsored by a chemical company that was trying to promote their new brand of synthetic fibers and their new rugs and their new clothes and their polyester, while at the same time, as it was later revealed, manufacturing Agent Orange right. and causing mm-hmm. unreversible damage to Vietnamese people, to U.S. veterans. I mean, just uh, horrific things. And they were sponsoring a ride at Disneyland where the theme song is Miracles from Molecules. Isn't chemistry great? (laughs) And then you find out years later that they're using chemistry in this terrible way. So, like, you can really hone in and appreciate, wow, look at this artist and his Claude Coates and Yale Gracie and all these Imagineers. They were the best script writers at their time. They're the best illusionists. They're the best this or that, the best show writers, whatever. They're the best theatrical people that maybe even existed at that point, or at least existed and were given money to do something with. And they did something amazing, but there's another side to it that you should also know about. So I think those two things can coexist. I think you can acknowledge, which is something that is, I guess, is more controversial than I originally thought, as my recent interactions on social media have shown. (laughs) (laughs) Having any kind of nuanced opinion where you're saying things aren't either 100% amazing or the worst thing you've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. People did work on this. They had nothing to do with X or Y. Or You can appreciate something and also acknowledge why certain parts of it are bad and hope to weed those out. It's a very nuanced thing, and I think the two things could coexist. That's at least where I am at the recording of this podcast. I might change my opinion. I don't know. <laughs> so, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally agree with it. Things can be both good and bad. And I'm just going to restate what you just said. A lot of things that people deeply love would not even come close to existing without huge corporations behind them, corporations which sometimes are not necessarily doing the best stuff. So, of course, you're going to have both. To me, that is not even remotely a controversial statement. Yeah, uh, Twitter would disagree with you because it's Twitter and a nightmare and hell and like watching the video from Event Horizon from hell. But I think people underestimate or just like people who do not work in adjacent industries, like underestimate how many people work on something. Yes. And like how many stages of things this goes through. And like you see it a lot in game development where like something will come out like, oh, check out new cosmetics. And everyone's like, they have time to do cosmetics and not fix bugs. It's like, it's two different departments, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's so many moving parts to everything. And just like, neglecting that to boil things down to like one person or one company or it's just like humans have a hard time tolerating like mental complexity it's like evolutionarily it's easier to be like this thing good this thing bad right. but like that's not good for your brain or community or making things or understanding things like it's very backwards and i imagine with this sort of thing and i would imagine when you talk about stuff like this of kind of revealing the darker side of things I imagine you get a lot of the, oh, you ruined my childhood, (laughs) which is a phrase that needs to be banned from the internet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that if you are going to a theme park or you're just consuming media and you're not digging a little deeper or you're refusing to look at facts just so you could, you know, further immerse yourself then I don't think you're really engaging with the product. On the other hand, if you're saying this is all bad, there's nothing redeemable about this, it's a horrible thing, you're weird for liking it, blah, 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 you're also equally not engaging with it. If you really want to explore 
why a giant corporation exists that can create an entire resort with climate-controlled environments that look like they're from another planet or on the other side of the world. It is a product of just pure, unfiltrated capitalism. Totally. And there is a lot of interesting things that come from that. That's why I find it so interesting is because it's like this thing, it's amazing that it exists. It's amazing that a place like Walt Disney World or Universal Studios or any of these really exist. They are just pure entertainment, but like built and constructed with steel. You know, these giant, massive structures for pure entertainment. It's a fascinating realm. And I think it should be discussed, the good parts of it, the artistry that these artists do, because these artists are truly incredible. And also the corporate side, where you're, you need to look at how are these workers being treated? How are these artists being treated? Who's paying for this? All those things, you can look at those and still say, the art itself is also good. Mm-hmm. We don't go into this too much. I mean, obviously, we haven't been to Disneyland in a year and a half, uh, probably a little more. But when we bring our daughter there, it's not like we're spending the whole time being like, Audrey, guess how much that person's being paid? You know, like, we're not going into that too hard. (laughs) Audrey, what are your thoughts on unionizing? Yeah, exactly. But you can talk about it with a kid where you're like, okay, you know, what do you think is going on here from a variety of perspectives, from a business, uh, cultural? Like, I remember taking her there a couple of years ago and taking her on the Jungle Cruise ride and having to have a little talk with her afterwards about, you know, maybe, you know, some cultures here are not being portrayed in the best light. Yeah. And I think the most generous uh, thing we can do there is treat it as an opportunity to have a conversation with our kid, which we do in an age-appropriate way and not like the whole time. But just like here and there, when you see something, you can be like, hey, here's a conversation we can have, which is, as you're saying, always a conversation worth having. And more so, of course, when it's with an adult and you know, someone who can actually understand the nuances. Yeah, I agree. I think there are certain systems in our society, especially in the United States, that are fundamentally broken from the bottom up, up down. Oh, yeah. And the mindset with those institutions is get rid of it and start again. And the merits of that could absolutely be debated. And I really don't have a strong opinion. Obviously, I completely recognize that there are systems that are completely broken. And I think that mindset gets applied to something, I mean, oddly, like a theme park, where it's like, this system is broken, get rid of it, you're bad for going to it. It's like, no, you can actually take out the bad stuff from the Jungle Cruise and just have it be a boat ride with a tiger. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Those things are fixable. The thing on Twitter recently has been like making fun of people for going to theme parks or whatnot because they're for children. Oh, yeah. you. I saw you were talking about this the other day. Oh, yeah. And then I ran away from Twitter. <laughs> if Twitter is a person and you are listening right now, please go easy on me. I just <laughs> didn't want you to make fun of someone that was crying. Yeah. Tell us what happened. Two people were crying because Disneyland reopened. And I don't know the context of the picture. Some people said it was during a moment of silence. Some people just said it was because they were excited the park was open. Whatever the context is, two people were pictured crying. One of them, apparently, is a first responder or a nurse. And the other person was an employee at Disneyland. And people were just making fun of these people, saying terrible, terrible things about them. Some people even going as far to say that they have a mental disorder, if you like theme parks. What? It's schoolyard bullying. The thing that frustrated me most about it is they all tried to justify it with some 
bigger societal reason why they were right to make fun of these people for crying. Because Disney's a huge corporation, and if you like it, blah, 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 I deserve to make fun of you for crying. Or COVID is still a problem, so if you go to the parks, I deserve to make fun of you for crying. All those things are valid. Like, we could discuss whether the theme park should be opening. We could discuss, you know, the workers' rights. But do we need to make fun of people for crying? And it really just came down to schoolyard bullying because the idea that adults can like theme parks, it aggravates people in a really interesting way. And I don't understand it because everything is silly. (laughs) There's a few different crowds that do it. One crowd is the professional sports crowd. Oh, dude, that was going to be my guess is that like sports people do this. Yeah. Uh, If you are a professional sports fan and you don't understand the absolute irony of you making fun of adults for going to a theme park, I do not know where to begin. (laughs) Yeah. You have foam fingers and you make fun of people with Mickey Mouse ears. You paint yourself blue because your sports team is blue and just scream, which is fine. And I'm not even looking down on you for it. That sounds like a fun time. Sports are fun. Yeah, Disney's a terrible company. I support good companies like the National Football League. What the hell is going on? (laughs) (laughs) And if it's not sports, it's these people that really hate people that like theme parks. And it's mainly the Disney crowd because they view them as detestable because it's for children. And it's just like, what do these people enjoy? My tweet was like, how are you tweeting right now? Like, are you tweeting on, like, an iPhone? (laughs) Like, where do you think that came from? Yeah. Not to be the whole, like, late-stage capitalism guy, but, like, that's where we are, baby. (laughs) I don't know what you want me to do. Am I just supposed to exist and eat, like, unbranded crackers in a white room? Like, (laughs) I'm trying my best to engage with these subjects. I'm not just going and la di di around. I'm telling the history and trying to dig into why certain things exist and how we got here and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm trying to engage with it the best I can. But I do also like the taste of a churro. I just get confused <laughs> because it's a whole mess. Am I just supposed to just sit in a white room and eat crap? I don't know. Who built the white room? We're all supposed to be in the white room together. Do you have any idea where those crackers came from? Yes, I'm trying. I'm trying to do history videos on them. Leave me alone. (laughs) The thing that confuses me, too, is you can be like, oh, those are for children. Hey, newsflash, children can't go to these places by themselves. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near a place that was like, only people 10 and under are allowed to get anywhere near this. Like, come the fuck on. That would be a nightmare. It's also just a fundamental misunderstanding of what's there. Yes, totally. Can you imagine going to Disneyland and standing outside and just, like, sneering at everybody who goes in, like... (laughs) This is for children. This is stupid. I hope you have a terrible time. Like, who fucking cares? If you don't like it, wild idea here. You could simply not look at it. It's just such day one stuff. Just stop bullying people. What's really bothered me recently is usually if it's the sports crowd, you know, that's fine. Like if you're, oh, I'm a big, you know, LA Dodgers or whatever you are, and you're making fun of the guy going to Disney because he's a child, that I look at and I'm like, okay, I was in high school once. You beat up kids for liking Star Wars. And now everybody likes Star Wars, so it's okay. And now you're beating up kids for liking Disney. Whatever, I get it. That's so easy for me to understand. But what's hard for me to grapple with is people that make fun of adults for having a hyperfixation and then claim to be the most progressive and socially-minded people for it when I think it's important to mention that if you're looking at someone with a hyperfixation, especially something relating to children's media, and I deal with this, you know, a lot, is there is a chance that you are making fun of somebody that that hyperfixation comes from perhaps a social disorder, maybe they're on the autism spectrum or or something of that nature. Might be trauma. Or that. Yeah. You're making fun of this person for having a hyperfixation, and then you're also claiming the reason I'm making fun of this person is because I'm very progressive. (laughs) 
you're very quite possibly making fun of someone, you know, perhaps has something that, you know, contributes to that hyperfixation. And it's okay. Yeah. Because they're not hurting anybody. Yeah, and even if it wasn't. <laughs> and even if it doesn't, it's okay. Even if they're neurotypical, who gives a shit? <laughs> Whether they're neurodivergent or not, it's not good. My new theory about Twitter is that for many Twitter users, it is about stealing joy. <laughs> and they open up the app and they're like, how am I going to take something away from someone today? And I'm sure this is not a conscious decision, but this is just the way it feels. It feels like people are just scrolling, looking for reasons to hate something, and then justifying it as a moral good that they're shitting on other people. And sometimes people are right to be called out. It seems like more often than not, when it happens on Twitter, it is pointless joy stealing in a way that is not productive for anybody involved and gives the person doing it just a brief feeling of self-righteousness because they were able to jump on someone else. Well, it's like the self-righteousness and also, are you guys familiar with the crab bucket mentality? No. I know the fill your bucket mentality. Is that the same thing? Is this going to give me milkshake ducked? Because I do know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Crab bucket is just when you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, they're all trying to get out at the same time. But in trying to get out, they all pull the other crabs down so nobody can get out. So it's like, I'm miserable. I need you to be miserable. And like Kevin, as you pointed out earlier, it's a lot of like, I have found an object of a social ill of like, capitalism. Okay. So if you're big into Disney, like you are going to be my little idol of capitalism. And since I have decided that you are morally bad, that gives me license to be unbelievably cruel to you under the veil of like, I'm woke. And it's especially frustrating for me to relate it back to my work is because so much of my work is about exploring the the faults of the capitalistic system that got Disney to do this stuff or Universal Studios or whoever it is, you know, for instance, I did an episode on Hong Kong Disneyland and there's a lot of weird stuff that they had to do to clear the land for that park that is not moral. And you can look at that and you can explore it. And that is a conversation. I feel like, you know, if I showed them a video and said, hey, look at this video where I deconstructed this theme park ride. It was a really cool ride with some really cool stuff. But there's also this underlying reason socially that this ride existed and a reason culturally why this ride went away. Would you like to see it? They'd be like, oh, kid stuff that <laughs> like if you're a child. I was like, I literally just did like a doctorate thesis on a random theme park ride. I'm not saying I spent my time well. I'm just saying, give me a little more credit than that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's one of those things where people fail to acknowledge like no art ever has ever existed in a vacuum. Oh, absolutely. Like that historical political stuff is so real. Like I've been doing a little offshoot of this podcast. It's like a horror history podcast. And the more that I do it, it becomes so much more cultural and historical than just the movies of like, horror is an articulation of societal fears. Like we have to understand that to understand these trends that people point out as like one thing was successful and so all these other things aren't. It's like, well, no, yeah, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> there are so many reasons why things happen. And if you just want to turn a blind eye to it, like you do you, I guess, but And that's what I love about engaging with material. You know, the easiest example is like, why did Star Wars become popular? Why did George Lucas even make it? It's a really easy one because everybody knows Star Wars. It's like, well, look at when it came out, 77, right? Yeah. And so there's so much history and nuance and culture as to why Star Wars existed and came out. And that's basically what I do with every theme park or theme park ride or themed experience. You know, anything like that, any bigger than life themed experience. The fascinating part is always in the nuance. 
And I think YouTube, luckily, especially recently, even though they added this new shorts feature, which is like the worst. (laughs) Wait, hold on. You expect me to believe that a new feature that YouTube rolled out sucks? Yes. You really expect me to believe that? I I know what it sounds like, but I'm telling the (laughs) truth. No, it does suck. For the most part, it actually is, as far as video length goes, it actually kind of motivates you to make longer videos. Mm -hmm. It's either, please make a video over 20 minutes or make one under 60 seconds, which is weird, but I'm happy that YouTube is a platform somewhat, all all the messiness they have, Again, look at that nuance. Yeah. <laughs> the videos have, and probably because audience demand, they are encouraging longer form content, which allows you to kind of sit in a topic more and really explore it. And that's what I really like to do on my channel. And that's who I am. Is that the end of my intro? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> there you go. Do not follow me on Twitter, please. <laughs> Twitter, I really hope I don't get milkshake duck death. I don't think I've done anything as bad as milkshake duck. No, no, no. Our audience is really cool about this kind of stuff. Cool. We end up talking about how awful Twitter is almost every single episode. Oh, good. So nobody just rolled their eyes that I said Twitter might not be the best place for discourse at the moment. No. Well, okay. If you listen to this discussion about us, like literally talking about nuance for 45 minutes and then are like, oh, Kevin Perjurer bad? Like, dude, <laughs> dude. <laughs> well, that is the episode title Damn now. It. Kevin Perjurer bad. <laughs> I was about to say that's the promo <laughs> snippet right there. Kevin Perjurer bad on the new episode of Call Out Post. Maybe I should consider nuance. That's problematic to say, actually. <laughs> I wanted to talk about some of your specific videos, Kevin. So I'm in my mid-40s, and I grew up in North Jersey in the 80s. I know where this is going. Action Park. Yeah, Action <laughs> Park loomed, loomed large for me. Only went a couple of times because my parents were not quite as credulous about the safety claims. Yeah. <laughs> Action Park. That's a few years ago now, right? Your video on that came out? Yeah. It felt to me, and I watched it again today, and I watched it a while back. Action Park has been like all over kind of recently with the documentary on HBO, it feels to me like you were way ahead of the curve on that. I feel like I was in the middle of the curve. (laughs) I think Good Mythical Morning did uh, a feature on it like a few years before my thing, and that was huge. Yeah, I will say that I know the documentarian that made that Class Action Park documentary and that was an effort. And he had actually made something before before me, and he'd done a short on the park that was featured on Forgot Name of Sight. It was a shorter one on the dock, and he made a longer version of it. So it's been around, but there has been an action park of renaissance for sure in the past year, because not only did the documentary come out on HBO, but also Andy Mulhaville, I think. Yeah. Because I think Gene was his father. I think Andy released a book. And then Johnny Knoxville oh, right. released a movie, Action Point. Wow. And then there's a new TV series about Action Park, but like a narrative version of it. Mm-hmm. And I have mixed opinions on everything. Yeah. People died. Yes. And my video, if I recall, which I haven't watched it recently, I think I took a serious tone with it. Generally, yeah. I did have some fun with like the go-karts and stuff like that. But like, there's a tone of like, isn't this hilarious? I'm like, people died, man. Yes. As the more stuff comes out, the more I'm like, people are like, oh, I wish I could have gone there. That was actually the biggest response to the video. Oh, no. Which was a lot of people were like, oh, you're some gendered insults. 
you can't because you don't have the balls to go down the loop and slide. <laughs> Getting a nosebleed at Action Park and then a concussion was a rite of passage in New Jersey at the time. Real badge of honor. You know what? As someone who you know was there at the time, certainly had plenty of friends that went near it. I went either once or twice. My only clear memory is the wave pool. Oh, gosh. And I was not a brave or athletic child. <laughs> and I remember going to Action Park, getting in the shallow part of the wave pool. And just for context, everybody, these are waves that were several feet high, I think three feet high. Lifeguards would have to save people all the time. People definitely drowned in that pool. I forget what the numbers are, but I'm sure someone died in that pool. And I remember essentially getting into the shallow end and being like, nope, I'm done here. <laughs> and that was the extent of my experience at Action Park and huge stories growing up. My parents were like, this is not the environment for you, Brian, because this is a bunch of drunk teenagers going crazy. You don't like having fun, so you shouldn't be there. Right. Which they are correct, and I still hate having fun. Also, I could know for myself that I was just like, I hate everything about this. I don't want to be anywhere near it. I'm just scared of everything and everybody. And, you know, you read stories in the paper about people who got their arms ripped off by the Alpine slide or whatever. Ugh. It was a real thing in Jersey. Wouldn't it be so fun if your close loved one uh, died horrifically in an amusement park accident on like a fun day? And then a, a bunch of years later, you go on YouTube and it's like top 10 gnarliest theme park deaths. Yeah. I also tweeted about this and got flack for this, but I saw a video like that and I was like, ah, because I talk about death in my videos, but it's like, you know, when people die, especially recently. Well, and kids, kids, kids died. Yeah. Any video that's framed as like the top 10 deaths at Disney or top 10 theme park deaths, you'll never believe. I was like, well, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> not cool. I talk about death and if you do it in a respectful way, you know, in educational way, obviously it's not like we should never talk about it just because it happened. But like, it does come across like, ooh, let me, Assemble 10. I can't imagine doing that. So let me milk somebody else's misery. Right. They're treating it like a horror movie or exactly. something. Exactly. You're like, oh shit. Oh. Yeah. If they're treating it funny, which is not as common, but if they're treating it as a horror movie, like, ooh, this is super spooky. I was like, this human being has loved ones and it's not spooky. It's just sad. Yeah. And then there's also like the shift to the victim blaming of like, oh, you put your arm out when you weren't supposed to. Uh, totally deserved to die. Yeah. Yeah. That's dumb. That's totally a thing that makes you deserve death, you motherfucker, as if you get to decide that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I forgot about the mythical morning thing, but when I was watching the video today, I was like, you were before the wave really broke for, no pun intended, for this trend of Action Park. I don't think I caused the wave, but I definitely got in there before it. And so every now and then it's like that video, if you look at the views on it or like the graph, you could be like, oh, that's when the Action Point got released. Oh, that's when the HBO documentary got released. I definitely got in under the radar with that one. Another one of your videos that I, I rewatched today was the Journey into Imagination one. Is that right? Yeah. I have a brief story I wanted to share with that, which is I went to Disney and Epcot in 1985 when I was 10. And I have a clear memory of this because I remember seeing a sign that said, coming in 1986, the living seas. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> what, what, a, what I wouldn't give for it to be 1986 right now. Oh no. Yeah. So I was like obsessed. Journey into Imagination was the ride for me during that trip. I was just obsessed with it. I remember going back right at night, you know, when there was like maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever left for the park to be open and just going on that ride, I think three or four times in a row. 
because there was no line. I could just pop out, go back in. Such a big part of my memories of that. And then I didn't really follow anything, didn't know anything about the updates to it. And then the next time I was nearby was when NSP was touring and did a show in Orlando, which would have been three years ago, something like that. We had a day off. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going back to Journey Through Imagination without knowing anything that had changed. Uh And (laughs) going back into it, I was horrified at (laughs) what it had become. And not really remembering, actually watching your video on it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember the bat cat. Like, it was great. But I didn't realize that they had completely fucked it. Oh, yeah. And turned it into maybe one of the worst rides I could have imagined. It's just terrible. Well, you can imagine a worse one because the one before the iteration you probably rode was even worse. Yeah. The one in between the one you remember and the one you rode. Yeah, I was reading about that. It sounds like that was even worse. My favorite part about the current one was it's all about like the senses. And then at least two of the senses, they're like, yeah, we're not doing smell. You know, (laughs) Because it's all the different, it's the touch labs. It's the sound lab, the smell lab, the sight lab. And then there's the taste and touch labs. You get right up to them and you see the door and they say, oh, we don't have time for those on our tour. And I was like, you cowards. I know. Make me taste something. (laughs) Touch me. Touch me. Yes. Dude, I was going through that. I was like, how are they going to do touch? Like, things might be about to get creepy. See, I wish they put something under your ass. Yeah. Because, like, they do that on It's Tough to Be a Bug. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like the little rollers that's like, oh, there are bugs crawling. That shit scared me so bad as a kid. (laughs) They poke your butt. I was like, oh, you should put that in the seat. I have all these different ideas on how they could have done the taste labs. There's just like an employee with an ice cream cone. Sure. Just a communal, everybody licks it. And then like it's melting his hands by the time you get up there and you see him like dip the second one as you go away. There's so many ideas. I think they really chickened out on that. They messed up not hiring you for this. Yeah. Every step of the way they messed up not hiring me because that's so much of what I do. Whenever I do like just casual podcasts or just talk about attractions, I'm always like, this is what they should have done. And even though I research this, whenever I say what they should have done, I don't consider any logistics. Right, of course. <laughs> Nobody ever does. <laughs> I don't consider operations. I don't consider design. I don't consider, I'm just like, here's what they should do. They should make it so I can fly. But I don't want rails and I don't like seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> That's my idea. The butt rollers, how could you possibly pass that up? There's no way that could possibly go wrong. Yeah. I have my story about a video of yours that I have a connection to, if you'll indulge me. Uh-huh. Your very first video is the extraterrestrial oh, God. one, right? Yeah. That's an old one, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's always a level of anxiety of you know talking about your early stuff. But that one is how I found your channel, because when I was a kid, uh, I went to Disney World with my parents, and I was terrified of aliens, like very, very badly, very paranoid my entire childhood about it. Aliens were already a fear of yours. Yes. Well, the thing is, is that I've always had clinical anxiety. And so it was dinosaurs and then it was aliens. And now I would actually kill somebody to see a UFO, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Now it's Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you're saying that is a bit... Not fully. (laughs) (laughs) I started being able to actually read in dreams. And so now I have nightmares where I'm trapped on Twitter actually reading tweets. Oh, God. But my dad went on extraterrestrial and I was like gripped with anxiety and curiosity like sitting in the little gift shop or whatever and then for like literally years afterwards I would interrogate my dad about like I need you to give me the rundown of exactly what happens on this ride and I need you to draw for me what the alien looks like will you please draw the alien again (laughs) as if I was like a prepper preparing using this research to protect against eventual um, alien abduction (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, I loved that video very much because it was something I had completely forgotten about. And it's a very well-made video. Oh, well, everything except for that last sentence. <laughs> no, it's not well-made. It's my first video. I It's basically a PowerPoint. No, I, I appreciate that. I'm actually working on a much longer extraterrestrial-related project. Oh, nice. Oh, fuck yeah. Can you say anything about it? It's a book. I wrote a book that was like a parody travel guide to Disney World. Now I'm doing a more history-based one. I've been working on it for a while now. It's slow, Bill. I mean, it's like a free time thing. It's about Tomorrowland, so it has a long, long section on extraterrestrial alien encounter. You know, mentioning you're afraid. Just some of the stories that I've been interviewing with my co-author and how it's just... They had all these protocols whenever a kid would get scared. They had all these things that they could do. And they had like, apparently at one point they had night vision goggles so they could see if there was something going wrong. And they had to run over to them if someone was really panicking and try to get them out. But by the time they wow. got over there, oh, wow. it was blah, 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 blah. And like all sorts of stuff like that. Like if someone was really afraid, the cast members, they do this every day. And they started to be able to sense when a parent was dragging their child into the ride and they were already scared because the pre-show was also terrifying. Oh, yeah. That makes yeah. sense, yeah. The queue was really scary. It was done so on purpose. If you didn't want to be there, you could leave. But of course, parents don't care. And so parents drag their children on the ride and they would go over and stop the restraint from coming on to the children by just hitting it because it was a weight-resistant restraint <laughs> and they would just hit it so it would then go back up. And because of the way the ride was designed, most of the alien effects were contained in the restraint. You didn't move. The only reason for the restraint was for the effects like the aliens jumping on top of you, and now it's licking your neck, mm -hmm. and it's breathing on your neck, and it's spitting water at you. All those effects were contained, and as well as some of the audio was contained in that restraint. So if they were able to stop that restraint from coming down, it was just like a light show. And they'd go to them, and kind of exactly how you explained, I had a cast member explain to me how he had this very quick spiel of he would tell the child everything that was about to happen, and how it would be really funny. And then by the end, they were laughing and they would come up and give them a big hug, then say thank you for because I wasn't scared. God, that's a real strat. And that's why you should pay cast members more <laughs> because they had to deal with stuff like that. The level of like emotional labor involved in that, too, of just like trying to manage and detect fear and then assuage it. Like that's such a skill. Trying to parent someone that is actively being not parented. Yeah. yeah. Like. A parent wants to go on this attraction. They saw the signs. They don't care. Their child can handle it or whatever. And they just drag their kid on, you know. And that was a constant problem with the ride. Yeah, I mean, that's got to happen like every five seconds or whatever. My problem with aliens extended to literally everything. So my parents dragged me like crying and screaming onto the E.T. ride at Universal. And they were like, no, no, it's really cool. It's like E.T. says your name. And that was like my absolute oh. worst nightmare. <laughs> he knows who I am. <laughs> yeah, I have to see the scary alien and he's going to say my name. Do the horrors never stop? I'm sorry. E.T. is innately terrifying. <laughs> I saw... E.T., you know, in the theaters in 82, when I would have been, whatever, six or seven. And I have not re-watched it since then because I was so traumatized by this fucking movie. And not because of any interpersonal dynamics between <laughs> Elliot and E.T., purely because of how horrifying E.T. is. That to this day, I cannot and will not watch E.T. I won't let Audrey watch it. I, I hate every <laughs> single fucking thing about E.T. It is not like a magical nostalgia trip for me. That movie is just pure horror, start to finish. I really hate it. Weirdly, Close Encounters is almost more charming. 100%. <laughs> There's like, they play some tunes and the aliens do so. They have a little like jam out. Like, E.T. is just this terrifying, wrinkled man eating Reese's yep. Pieces and, and just running around in white cloth 
It's just terrifying. Like, could you imagine a human playing E.T. and doing everything E.T. did? It's terrifying. Yeah, no, he, he's terrible. And he's the penisiest alien imaginable, too. That's right, yeah. I'm sorry, say that again? He's the penisiest alien imaginable. By the way, trivia question. Do you guys know E.T.'s real name? Piece of shit. That would have come out in, like, the sequel or whatever? No. There is an actual answer for this. I don't know. What is it? Zrek. Z-R-E-C-K. Whoa. Zrek. That makes me hate him more. You know why it doesn't make me hate E.T. more? Because nothing could. <laughs> nothing could make me hate E.T. more. Now that you have that information, when he says your name, you say it back. And then he just freaks out. <laughs> How did you know that? I own you now. Yeah, it's like Rumpelstiltskin or whatever. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Brian here. I recorded this while we were listening back to this episode. I have to admit something, which is that I may may have misspelled E.T.'s real name. I can't seem to find a definitive source on whether Zrek is Z-R-E-K or Z-R-E-C-K. I I find sources that list both. So I don't know if there's an answer in the canon. And I did just want to apologize for my extreme recklessness with my potential misspelling of E.T.'s real name. So, E.T., if you're listening, all I can say is I fucking hate you and uh, your movie was awful. Yeah, on one of our earliest episodes, like the first one Jory's on, we have that extended conversation about E.T. that like is maybe one of my favorite moments on the pod of like Jory describing like the ashen dog shit white E.T. that's dying. Yeah. God, I'm plugging our own show on our show. You should. It's a good episode. It's a good moment because we all hate <laughs> E.T. The thing I do like about the E.T. ride is the same thing I like about the Peter Pan ride, which are they're both suspended dark rides, which means you hang from the ceiling. And you look down for the majority of the ride. And I love that. Yeah. And because in E.T., you're like flying on the bike. And E.T. is in the cart with you, by the way. (laughs) The worst. No, thank you. He gets up and he turns around and he looks at you because he's like hiding in his white white sheets or whatever. (laughs) Genuinely upset. He's right there with you. Uh, The thing I love about the E.T. ride, though, and Peter Pan is because you look, I think in both cases, you look down on like the city. And it's just like a piece of plywood painted black with a bunch of holes stuck through it and then the lights just like simulating cars moving. Of course, yeah. But I've always wanted to just fall. (laughs) It does give you the brief illusion that you're miles above the ground, but I would love to just skydive off of E.T.'s... That E.T. pushed you out of the cart in order to murder you. (laughs) Yeah, E.T. pushes me out of the cart. I only have time to make the skydive pose before I slam into the plywood, breaking the illusion that I was miles in the air. It sounds peaceful to me for some reason. Yeah, as E.T. laughs maniacally. And then grabs his next victim. (laughs) The E.T. murder experience. Yeah, exactly. Also, the weird thing about the E.T. ride is you go to the E.T. planet, I believe. Or maybe they just come to you. Brian, have you been on the ride? I have not. No, not that I remember. There are many E.T.'s. His whole family's there. Oh, God. They're like playing the space bongos and stuff. And they're like, hey. The Zrex. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And then E.T. spits out the names of every single person in just one long, disgusting ramble. (laughs) Kevin Leighton, Brian, Anna, like. (laughs) It's terrible. This is a question I think somebody on our Discord had, but like, have you had to deal with any sort of like legal uh, problems from Disney or associated companies like coming after you? No. 
Hell yeah. (laughs) They're actually as big and scary as the big corporations are. They have pretty much adopted, and I've heard a little bit like trickle down, because I do know people within the company. My videos are played somewhat frequently within the company, like in certain departments. That's awesome. About like, this is the thing. This is the history. And this is like something we did wrong one time or something like that. (laughs) And I've heard that people actually show them internally at, at certain points, you know. Um, whether just for fun or for like little things during their training meetings, which if that is true, I mean, that's amazing. But also the big companies have basically adopted the mindset of like, it's not worth it. Yes. Because one, they're wrong. What I do is completely legal and they can suck it is what I say, but I don't have the money (laughs) to prove that. But they're pretty good about understanding like, you know, with copyright. Obviously, if you use music, they'll claim it because that's a robot that does that. But other than that, no, they're pretty fine with it overall from what I've seen. And at this point, and this is me knocking on wood, I do have a somewhat significant following. Oh, if they went after you, that would be terrible press. Yeah. It would cause bad press. Would it be Disney ending press? No, it would maybe make a <laughs> newspaper. But uh, why? At the end of the day, I'm just <laughs> promoting their parks. Yes. And no one's watching this stuff, even if they're getting all this historical nuance. No one is coming out of it and being like, well, I'm never going to Disney. Of course not. You watch a video on Universal Studios. I tell you the history of something, even if I'm like, and now look at this kind of shady part of it. You're still like, "Eh, I still kind of want to ride the ride. Totally. I don't end the videos with saying, you are a jerk if you go on the Spider-Man ride at Islands of Adventure. Also, everything I'm saying is true. I don't lie. So luckily, no. The answer is no. I've not been in any legal trouble. Knock on wood over and over again. I hope that doesn't come about. Like I said, I have heard from certain places and certain departments, especially some people that kind of heard the strategy legally. And it's not, of course, I'm not number one enemy by any means. There's plenty of people that use Disney clips and stuff. They just understand that what's going to be the point? What are they going to obtain from stopping people from doing that? And to give YouTube credit, Google has pushed back somewhat on major corporations kind of being bullies on their platforms because they're a major corporation. So I good, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. But short answer, no. Knock on wood. That's great, dear. I totally agree. And also your videos are majority positive. They're not dealing with a hater by any stretch. Oh, no. I love this industry. Obviously. Even if I don't like how something came about, even if I don't like the practices or the operations of certain things, I am a huge fan of the medium of theme parks, and I am a huge appreciator of the work that these artists do. It's just such an amazing thing. So, like, I am 100% a fan. I wouldn't really call myself a Disney fan because I really don't care outside of the theme parks. Uh I mean, I like some of the movies. I like some of the animated stuff. But, like, I would not call myself, like, oh, I'm a... Uh, gosh, I love Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is my guy. Send me Mickey Mouse merch. (laughs) Give me some Mickey Mouse stuff, which is whatever if that's your thing, but... I mean, on my wall, I have, like, vintage maps of Disney parks. That's classy. It goes over well during my dinner parties. (laughs) Like, (laughs) hey, have you seen the 1971 (laughs) opening day Magic Kingdom map? Well, I have a pixelated photocopy (laughs) I found from an old (laughs) auction that I didn't win. So uh, you come over here. No, get, get your wine first, sure. About Mickey Mouse, like, in terms of an animated character, just a terrible you know, name a characteristic Mickey Mouse has. I can't honestly think of anything beside the voice, which is a bad sign when you're talking about a character. So I don't think anyone loves Mickey Mouse. Recently, the new Mickey Mouse shorts, they have done him better. 
Like you're talking about like the thirties kind of style ones. Yeah. The new ones. I don't like the style, but I appreciate it from a distance. I think it's like that kind of Ren and Stimpy, I would say. Yeah. It looks like the thirties, but the animation is more like the grossness of like early Nickelodeon. Mm. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm a Pluto guy. If I had to pick a member of the Fab Five, Pluto, he's a good boy and that's all he is. He chases seals from time to time. And other than that, what are you going to say about Pluto? Yeah. Who do you think of that five, like, you could take in a fight? Who are the five? Mickey, Minnie, Daisy, Donald, Goofy. Those are the five? Daisy's not part of the Fab Five. Pluto is the fifth member of the Plat Five, not Daisy. Okay, got it. That's fucked up. I got to get unheated. (laughs) (laughs) Who could I take in a fight? Is that what you asked? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Oh, my gosh. It's hard-hitting journalism. (laughs) I feel like Minnie... I wouldn't fight or she would outsmart me because she's smart. Minnie would fight dirty. Yeah. Donald, I mean, maybe if his anger blinded him, but his rage, I think, is just unbeatable. Ducks with their disgusting, like, moss mouths where, like, you get bit by a duck and you can get a horrible infection. That would be my my concern. Really? I didn't know that about ducks. I am afraid of birds. Anything with a beak. Valid. Mickey, I could sneak up on for sure. I don't think you'd see it coming. He's very optimistic. I think that's his only trait. Yeah, he'd be like, this guy's going to be nice to me, and then you just fucking murder him. (laughs) Mickey does this weird move when he's in the parks. Everybody has their thing. Like, Goofy's as he puts his hand over his face structure, because it's like a person inside the costume, not to break the illusion. (laughs) But he puts his hand over the giant plastic thing on top of his head. And so he's like, ha, 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 gorsh, 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 or whatever he says. And so that's what he does. And then Donald, like, does this big arm motion, like he's marching, and then he plants, and he puts both his fists on his waist, and he's like, ha, that's his motion. Mm -hmm. Mickey's Mm -hmm. classic motion is this weird thing where he plants his left foot, that's upright, he takes his right foot, and he points it up to his right, and then he, like, gestures to the right, kind of like a hug invitation, but also kind of like look over there, but also kind of like look behind me. Is it like the Will Smith meme position, essentially? It's a little bit like that. It's just like this weird kind of like beckoning gesture is what I call it. It's so troubling when you use the word beckoning. (laughs) Yeah, it's this Mickey beckons you. And if he planted like that, there's definitely a few pressure points I could get in and then he's off guard and then I'm there the rest of the way. Does that answer your question of which member of the Fab Five I could take in a fight? Better than I could have possibly hoped for. (laughs) What I like about that is that you not only answered in generality, but specifically with the characters in the parks in person. So I think that was a nice twist. Mm -hmm. It's a very tactical approach. You know who you cannot beat in a fight is Tigger. Oh, really? Because it'll bounce away? Because Tigger has punched like five guests and gone to court for it multiple times. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I don't know if you've seen this. I mentioned oh, this in my God. videos. But there's some great videos of this one cast member that he had his tail pulled and he just turned and bam, whapped a man in the oh. face. And he had to go oh, to God. court and put on the Tigger costume. That time, I think it was because he was accused of groping a woman. Ugh. <laughs> Oh, you're going to accuse me of groping? I'm going to assault you now. Oh, God. It was either one of those two things. And the point of bringing the Tigger suit to court was to prove that he could not have possibly done one of those two things because the Tigger suit wouldn't have allowed him to do one of those two things. It was a definitely, if the glove doesn't fit, you can acquit. But with the Tigger suit. (laughs) If the paw doesn't fit. (laughs) Yeah. To me, I hear the lawyer being like, and is that Tiger present in the courtroom right now? 
and then they have to point to the guy in the ticker <laughs> suit. Oh, that's a good moment. I had something I wanted to say, but it's less of a question and more just bragging. It is only apropos of a Disney thing, which is a weirdly big part of my life. I was reminded of this because watching the Journey into Imagination thing today, where you mentioned the Kitchen Cabaret featuring, and I remember going to this, I believe Bonnie Appetit yeah. was the, the lady's name. I have the broccoli, the eggplant, and the tomato stuffed animals from the Kitchen Cabaret and have had them since I was, whatever, nine and they are five feet away from me right now. And they have survived many, many moves. You know, the decades, the stuffing on the broccoli is kind of getting impounded a little bit. So it kind of just hangs weirdly all the time. They're wearing flamenco sleeves and they have mustaches. The broccoli has hot pink sunglasses. And these stuffed animals who were a part of Bonnie Appetit's Kitchen Cabaret have been huge. Actually, I used to bring that stuffed eggplant from the kitchen cabaret with me everywhere, including to Quiz Bowl in college. And then a rival team kidnapped him and stole him for about a year. And we went to their place for a college bowl tournament. We found him dangling over the stage, suspended as a taunt to our college bowl team. Look, we got him. We named this eggplant Reverend Jim in homage to the Christopher Lloyd taxi character. But those have traveled with me forever and have been such a big part of my life where the moment you said kitchen cabaret in that video, I was like, oh, fuck. My stuffed animals. Veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit. Is that what they're called? Well, that's the song. Wow. Veggie, fruit, fruit, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit. Okay, wow. There are no substitutes for me. Veggie, fruit, fruit, veggie, veggie, fruit. Can you picture the broccoli, tomato, and eggplant? Clearly. Yeah, of course. Just making sure. I don't know. That's offensive. (laughs) I literally sang their song. There's multiple songs in that show. I'm just kidding. I don't remember how prominent they were. I just remember them as the stuffed animals. Not only that, I know exactly the figures you're talking about. Nice. You're talking to a Disney adult. Come at me, Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) If you want some post-episode viewing. Uh, Epcot, when it first came out, they thought that they were going to like change education. Uh Uh-huh. They didn't. But they created 18 Epcot educational media specials to be played in schools. And one of them are those exact characters you're talking about because those are the breakout stars. I think it's the broccoli, the tomato, and the eggplant. Mm -hmm. They taught kids about how plants grow. It's called like Harold's Plant. Harold had a pet seed. Harold lived in this giant apartment complex where everybody had a pet. And Harold had a seed and it was his favorite pet. And then the veggie, veggie, fruit, fruits broke into his house and it was like, you don't even know what you have, Harold. Give me that. They're like, throw it into a pot. And they're like, watch it. And they shrink Harold. And they're like, watch it grow, Harold. Oh, my God. It's less aggressive than that, I'm sure. But that's how I remember it. It was like, you watch your pet grow. Your pet seed isn't a seed. It's a plant, damn it. But yeah, so you're actually holding movie characters as well. Wow. Okay. Brian, are you glossing over the fact that child you supposedly stole this from a ride? Oh, stole? I mean, what's stole? Borrowed? You know, (laughs) used? I'm not done with it, so it's not stealing. It's only stealing if you never give it back. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. But no, Leighton, I thank you for the implication that I was both smart and coordinated (laughs) enough to jump out of a ride and steal something, because I definitely was not. All right, well, let's do segments, I guess. (laughs) Yes. All right, our first segment... Kevin, it's our pop culture recommendation segment. It's called What's Poppin'? And here's the theme song. We always put it in in post, so I'm going to say here's the theme song. You're not going to hear it. We'll put it in later. Here's the theme song. 
What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Great. Okay, so that was the What's Poppin' theme, a perennial favorite among fans of the show and Layton as well, who really likes that song. I'm saying absolutely nothing. You don't need to say anything. We just recommend some piece of pop culture that we're into. It could be anything, book, movie, video game. Doesn't matter. Layton, do you want to start off? Are you going to ask me the question properly? Layton, what's poppin'? Thank you. What's poppin' for me is a different YouTube channel called Theremin Trees. I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the pod before, but it is neither about theremins or trees. It is a very, very interesting like psychology YouTube channel that has uh, really well researched and narrated videos with some fun animations that are about like narcissistic abuse and, you know, dealing with difficult people and shitty parents and a lot of stuff about like getting out of very like cloying, abusive religious situations. It's a super fascinating channel and very well done. They can be very heavy of just being like, oh, no, I know this exact behavior. Oh, dear God. But yeah, I highly, highly recommend it. It's some good throw in in the background watching. And if I'm going to recommend a specific video, I'll say the Narcissist Double Binds one is especially good. So that's what's popping for me. Wow. Sweet. Kevin, do you want to go? My thing would be there's a wonderful musician, very talented uh, man named Nick Let's Go. And I'm not sure if you are familiar with his videos, but he posts small Twitter songs. And he is one of my favorite creators right now. He just posts like two-minute songs on Twitter. But they have this really deep and complex lore. And they're usually about something that's happening. He started with, I want to be at the RNC. Oh, that guy. I remember that. Yeah. And now he wanted to sit with Dan Bongino. That was a good one. Yeah. And he just keeps doing these. His most recent one is, Joe Biden's going to take your meat. (laughs) It's all kind of like very topical, but also completely ridiculous. And he's really built up a great character. He's also just like an insanely good musician, like really good. And if you go to his YouTube channel, he used to work for this comedy YouTube channel. And he did these parody songs where he would take, you know, clips from like the news or something or quotes people said and turn them into a genre song. So he did one that was like Alex Jones is a folk song. And and stuff like that. Oh, that guy. Yeah, there you go. He has a sizable following, but not enough. He's really talented. So yeah, Nick Lutzko. How do you spell that? L-U-T-S-K-O is my best guess. Let's see if I'm right. I'm right. Hell yeah. <laughs> cool. Brian, what's popping? What is popping with me is, so I had a thing where, you know how sometimes you just get it in your head. You're just like, man, I haven't listened to that album in whatever, how many years? I'm going to listen to it again. And I was reminded, I don't even know why, of a Paul Simon album from about, I think, exactly 10 years ago from 2011 called So Beautiful or So What? And it is just an astonishing, beautiful album. I'm a huge Paul Simon fan, have been ever since I was a kid. All of like the Simon and Garfunkel stuff, of course, is great, like folky kind of stuff. His solo stuff is just incredible. And this album is interesting. It's weird. It's more produced than his typical stuff. There's some really amazing guitar playing on it. I just love this album. I literally listened to it a lot when it came out. I don't think I've heard it once in the last 10 years. But randomly, I was just like, oh, shit, that album was cool. And listened to it again, and it's just as good as it was 10 years ago. So I don't think it's one of his better-known albums. I think it maybe won a Grammy or something when it came out. But... You know, I don't think anyone thinks of Paul Simon as like turning out his best work in the last 10 years. 
But this really is up there with some of the best stuff he's ever done. I deeply, deeply love it. And I've been listening to it like nonstop for the past couple of days. So, wow. Yep. 2011, So Beautiful or So What? And if I had to pick a track, there's a track called Rewrite on it, which has a really fun guitar riff in it. It doesn't sound like rock music. It's sort of folky. It sounds to me vaguely like West African a little bit. It's a cool album with a bunch of different styles. But yeah, Rewrite is my favorite track from it. Lovely. So that's what's popping. And now we will move into our final segment, which is called Peaches and Lemons. This is the theme song for that segment. Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. This is part gratitude exercise and part airing of a petty grievance. So we will start with each having one lemon which is a mildly shitty thing that is frustrating. So, who's got lemons? I can go first. This is very minor, but as lemons should be. It's kind of an old guy thing. My knees have been bothering me recently, and I don't like it, and I don't know why. (laughs) And that's literally the whole thing. I've been doing some biking recently. I might be biking weird. Maybe you're just old. Maybe you're just geriatric. Fuck you, because you're right. (laughs) But... That is definitely a possibility. Maybe I'm just getting old. However, both knees at the same time coming on suddenly seemed a little suspicious. So I am definitely, by the way, 100% at the age where you go to a doctor with a problem and the doctor's like, yeah, what are you going to fucking do, dude? That's just like what it is now. So hopefully that's not what that is. But, you know, once you hit about 40, that's kind of always an option. So maybe that's just what it is now. But at this point, it's just more annoying than actually a problem. That's a good lemon. Yeah. Kevin, do you have a lemon? My Wi-Fi, which I mentioned before, I think we started, is really bad. And I'm looking forward to it not being so bad. So that's probably my biggest lemon is just constantly having to change my Wi-Fi. And it's gotten to the point where I know the support team from my internet service provider so well (laughs) that it's just too well, like, because they're not helping. But I hate being mean to people that, It's not their fault, you know? Yeah. Both being equally frustrated with the lack of response from customer service while also understanding that, like, what are they going to do? Yeah, it's a minimum wage job. Me taking out frustration on people that it's just their job. That's probably my lemon. It's getting to know my ISP's customer service team way too well. (laughs) It's such a common and relatable thing, too. Like, for me, it's always like, We're in 2021 right now. Wi-Fi should be like a solved problem, and it's definitely not. It is just such an issue for basically everybody all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Also, just like I call the customer service team. They can't do anything. I know they can't do anything, but here we are. I either want to never speak to them again or become legitimately good friends with them. And they they seem to be not interested in either because my Wi-Fi still sucks, and they don't answer any of my emails. (laughs) Those are both really good lemons. My lemon for the week is that I'm very paranoid about my stove burners because I wear headphones a lot and I'll walk into my kitchen to get a snack or a drink and then I come back. And even if my headphone cord slightly touches my oven, I have to thoroughly check. I'm like, okay, I have a gas stove. If this did pulled my knob a little bit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking die next time I smoke weed. It's a gas stove. Yeah, it's a gas stove. Or I'll even slightly brush it and then repeatedly go check. This is less of a lemon and more like a severe anxiety fixation. So anyway, stove burners, they're fun. I have the same thing. Before I go to sleep, I check all the burners on my stove 
that I've been doing this for a while, I only recently realized that one of the knobs that I check every night before I go to bed is actually the light for the oven. And I was like, it's like a second wasted every night just checking. And it's a binary thing. It's like on or off. And I'm like, why am I checking the, come on, dude, look at it. It turns out you've just been setting the kill switch of like, are you going to die? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. I definitely have a thing about checking the carbon monoxide detectors. Yeah. It's a genuine concern that people should have. First of all, if you live in a place with gas, you better check your carbon monoxide detector. It can kill you, but we've never had any issues with it yet. It is something I routinely worry about. There's something about a thing that will make you go crazy before it kills you is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, totally. And if it's during the day, it's one thing, but the problem is at night, right? So if you're asleep, then it can really fuck you up. Silent killer. This lemon became very serious. <laughs> it became a public safety announcement. PSA, everybody, don't die of carbon monoxide poisoning, please. Anyway, time for gratitude exercise. Yay! We will each do three peaches, which are things big or small that are pleasant, you're excited about, just a nice thing. So, peaches? Yes. I will go. And actually, my first peach is shockingly a Wi-Fi related thing. Screw me, I guess. <laughs> well, I was almost not going to do this because I was like, I don't want to make Kevin feel bad after what you said. But so my like little office slash studio is a detached garage, which for the past five years we've been living in this house has had astonishingly bad Wi-Fi. It's kind of what you're saying before. It knows exactly when I need it the most, i.e. when I'm recording the show and decides to get overloaded and freak out and then not want to reset for like 15 minutes. So after years of dealing with this problem, I called someone to fix it. The person had to reschedule a few times, but now the problem is fixed. And I say fixed, it's been less than a week, but so far so good. We've recorded an entire show on Wi-Fi, which I don't even know the last time I did that. And so far it's been okay. So I am very optimistic about the Wi-Fi in this garage. And by the way, the way the guy fixed it was by running a hard line from the cable modem, which is on the other side of the house. You have to go outside through the house. So he drilled a hole in the wall, ran basically a line into the garage, and I'm on the Wi-Fi from that line into the garage. Oh my God, dude. Ugh. I texted Layton immediately, and I was like, my Wi-Fi is fixed. I'm so excited about it. But yeah, so you can go fuck yourself is basically the point of that. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you. It feels very good. My second peach is that NSP put out a little acoustic show we did this past weekend, and a lot of people watched it, and I'm very happy about it because I like the show, and I'm glad people tuned in. We've never done an online concert thing before, and it seemed to have worked. So that was a nice little proof of concept there. Can people watch that if they missed it? Nope. Great. Cool. They can also go <laughs> fuck themselves. We wanted to kind of eventize it, make it like a one-time only ticketed thing. And at some point, maybe in the future, we'll put it out. But there's no plans to put out the video. And my final peach is I did something fun with the family this weekend. So there's this nonprofit here in L.A. called Friends of Residential Treasures, Fort L.A. And it is an architecture nonprofit. And every once in a while, they put out these architecture driving trails around Los Angeles. And LA, you know, it has this amazing confluence of different architectural styles. Some are quite old, early 20th century stuff. Then you've got all the kind of like googie stuff from the 60s. Uh, you've got like weird kind of brutalist things also from roughly the same time period. And then like, you know, crazy postmodern stuff from the 80s. And they did a 
quote-unquote secret trail, which if you donated to the organization, you got access to highlighting the works of an architect named Frank Israel, who was active like in the 60s through the early 90s, maybe 70s through the early 90s. And we drove all around LA looking at some of his houses. They're all private residences. You can't go in. But one guy basically wrote up a little thing. And it's like, there's the history of this house. Israel did the renovations this day. Here's who the previous owners were. You know, here's a little bit of context architecturally for when this happened. They're not like these crazy, crazy homes. They're just like very nice residences from mostly the 70s and 80s. And it was just lovely to drive around LA for a day looking at the work of an architect who I'd never heard of before, who just designed a bunch of homes. And so the code of this is if you did the trail and you submitted your snapshots of just like exteriors of these homes, they were like, don't fucking bother the people who live there. Just look at the outside and, you know, admire that. You were in the running for some prizes and we won the prizes because we were one of the first five groups to complete the trail. So that was very nice. Yeah. It was a signed print of a, actually, I don't know what the print is of, some fucking building or something, and a coupon for a bottle of wine. Oh, and we get a tour of the Gamble House in Pasadena, which is a Frank Lloyd Wright, which is very cool. Wow. That's tight as hell. Right? Look at Fort LA. Most of these they just put online. They have all these really cool trails. Just drive around for a day and see some really fun, cool looking houses. Layton, do you know about the storybook homes of Los Angeles? Yes, I do. Kevin, do you know about this? No. What is Los Angeles? Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible place where all podcasters live. That's right. There was a trend, I can't remember exactly when this was, maybe the 40s, although I might be way off on this, where people were building these houses. People would call them witch houses sometimes, like weird bends and thatched roofs. And if you shrunk them down, they look like a gnome might live there or something. And there are these very, very odd residences, which are now sprinkled all over town. And some were constructed by like set designers and stuff like that. They're really interesting and they're nearly all private homes. Didn't Elliot Smith live in one? Am I making this up? I don't know. I'm going to pretend. Yeah, but there's a bunch from around. But what's weird is one we saw was in Culver City. It's like next to some disgusting glass modernist apartment building from like a year ago. And then there's this super cool house from, you know, the 40s or something. That was a fun one. We took Audrey and she was largely unimpressed. I can't imagine why a small child wouldn't be enamored of buildings. Yeah. She did like the ice cream we got in between buildings, though. Fair. Kevin, peaches? Right now, I am working on a episode of Defunct Land about Epcos. And it's a episode where I do not speak which is unusual for my videos if you've seen them. And it's going to be done all musically. Oh. So for the past six to eight months, I've been working on producing music for the first time. Nice. I'm not at all qualified to make music, but it's sounding uh, pretty good. So I've been working with some horn ensembles and just learning a lot about music. And then also uh, hearing stuff get mixed is interesting and not really understanding it. So I found that I actually kind of like music. I'm maybe not good at it, but I enjoy playing certain things and composing. So you're writing all the music yourself? I'm actually working with a composer that's doing the bulk of the music, but there are certain pieces that, you know, maybe he wrote a melody for and then I took and then composed the rest. And then other things that I am composing. Some of the stuff I want to call full composing because it's like one of the pieces I'm composing is like a bossa nova song. So I'm getting musicians to improv over it. 
Wow. It's all era-specific to when it is, and we're going to release it as an album and stuff like that. It's very weird, but it's definitely been a nice break because like, uh, it's such a routine going where it's like research, research, record, edit, research. And so this is kind of like the biggest and probably the past like three years change to that. So that's definitely a positive. That's awesome. I got a second one. been running more, which is interesting because I hate it. (laughs) Some people love running, and I hate those people. No offense, but I'm four to five weeks in. And I used to run somewhat frequently, but now I'm kind of finally running frequently in a routine again. And now I'm kind of getting some of that like, oh, okay, so I can run and not feel like I'm going to die. And so that's been good. And a third peach is... I got my car detailed. Oh, nice. And that I had not done since buying it. It was a used car, so it already came with like a good amount of dust and stuff. And it's a black car, so the dust is extremely noticeable. So it's been years since I got the car and I got it used. And so I actually got really good detailing for the first time. I'm like, wow, this almost looks like a new car. I've never owned a new car before. So this is like the closest thing I've gotten. So I'm like, wow, every time I get in the car, I'm like, look at this car. That's awesome. Those are my three. Can I ask a very naive question? Because I've never actually known what this means. Detailed is just a very thorough cleaning. Is that what it is or what? That's what I think. I took it to a place. I said that it is dirty and they charged me an amount of money and then it came back to me clean. I don't know what they did. And it was like super clean. It's like super clean. Like you cannot do it yourself with the vacuum. They have special tools. They have special techniques that they use to get into certain things and to like polish. I have leather seats in my car. So like there were some stains on the leather. And obviously like, I don't think I could have figured out how to do that. They have like chemicals that get out stains and leather and repair leather and stuff like that. So it's like they get it to as close as new as possible. And in a million years, I don't think I could have done what they did. That's interior detailing. On the outside, I assume it's the same thing with exterior detailing, but that is my next venture once I decide the outside needs it again. I'll just keep going back and forth and be like, look at the outside. Now look at the inside. It's new on the inside Mm -hmm. and old on the outside. Now it's old on the inside and new on the outside. And then eventually, maybe someday, I'll just buy a new car. And then you get it detailed so it looks like a shitty used car, you know, just to spice it up. I would like a reverse detailing, please. (laughs) You can get dirt painted on it. That would be dope. Right. As if I'd just been off-roading. Like, I went mudding with the boys. Yes. (laughs) You know, which is the vibe I think I give off. I love that. I'm going to run a car detailing service where, like, you can choose the mystery bumper sticker package, and I'm going to construct an identity for you and slap a bunch of bumper stickers on that are, like, very, very specific. Mm -hmm. Such as? Honk if you love titties, (laughs) plus a Confederate flag. Wow. Random amount of kids in the window. Yeah, totally. But it's one of the ones where they're all wearing Mickey ears, just really forming a certain persona. One of those coexist stickers, but it's all like nerd uh, symbols. If you've seen those, they're terrible. Is there one with all nerd symbols? Yes, there are several. People definitely would buy that, yeah. Does that exist? Did we just make a million dollars? No, it unfortunately exists in many forms. <laughs> but yeah, the service is, do you want to decrease the value of your car and also your overall social standing? Well, Hit me up, Layton's Detailing Service. (laughs) I have never liked something enough to put a bumper sticker on my car of it. To me, that's a pretty high bar for me to clear before I'll put a sticker on my car. Well, I think it's also sometimes it's not that you'd like it enough. Like, I don't think people love breast cancer. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're also trying to raise awareness sometimes. But also, I agree, I don't care about anything enough. (laughs) Well, thank you. Maybe that would have been the better way to say it. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Guys, if you are a huge fan of breast cancer, please let us know. 
<laughs> breast cancer stands hit us up. Oh, God. I'll just say it. <laughs> I like breast cancer. <laughs> okay. There's our soundbite. Controversial take. Kevin Perger is a bad person. Yo, I'll yeah. just say it. I like breast cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's groovy. I can't believe you gave us a clean take of that. We didn't even ask for one. It was perfect. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Do we get that? Do we get yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On the record. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Layton, peaches. My peaches are, I get my second vaccination tomorrow. So I'm excited to be sick for two days. It's the best sickness. It was amazing for me. A healing sickness. Such relief. I love chills. I don't know if that's controversial, <laughs> but I love them because I'm always hot. I run hot. Oh yeah, mm. me too. And I live in Florida. Like I got the chills and I was like, ooh, do I get to go under the covers? <laughs> <laughs> Built in AC. So we now know that Kevin loves breast cancer and chills. I love being sick and I love breast cancer. <laughs> Uh, those two things are more related than I thought they were. I think he also said he's strongly anti-vaccine. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, that's right. There's a clean take of that. I'm an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> yeah, that was my first one. My second one is that I've been cooking again after a long period of eating shit. And yesterday I made some really bomb, like roasted cherry tomato, garlic, Parmesan pasta, which when I ate it after cooking forever, I was exhausted and I was like, man, this wasn't worth it. But then I hit that leftover at like midnight. Yeah, Ooh, that's how you do it. I love when you eat pasta and then your mouth is just wet. Like the whole lower half of your face is slick mm -hmm. and disgusting. That's how you know it's good. Mouth wet and chilly from the second vax. Yeah. <laughs> and loving breast cancer. <laughs> Just all over it. I'm going to do a breast cancer fan cam. <laughs> oh, God. Someone is going to be mad about this. Do like a Doja Cat song? Yeah. <laughs> cancer is terrible. I've lost family members to cancer. Oh, yeah. Much condolences. I as well. I apologize if anybody's legitimately offended by this. Just to say this out loud, the official stance of the Late Night with Brian White podcast is anti-cancer. Cancer is bad. Moving on. My third peach is I've been also drawing a lot more. I hit like a really weird rut where I just like hated it and was unhappy with it. And I just kind of had to get over my own internal hangups of just like everybody same faces, man. Like, I don't know, stop drawing for an imaginary audience. Just be self-indulgent. And it turns out self-indulgent is me drawing boobs 24-7. So <laughs> that's a peach for me. Great. Kevin, dude, thank you for taking this time to be with us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been excited about this all week. So thank you very, 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 very much. Okay, at least one of those was... <laughs> I tried my best. The slurring in the middle was what really made that. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, the very, 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 very... No, I had a great time. And I'll have to go back and listen to some episodes of this podcast because I'm enjoying this one, so... Oh, thanks. Wow, that's very kind. Anyway, so yes, Kevin, where can people find you, even though we've mentioned it several times? And you did just a primo introduction, so if you would like to reiterate. Oh my gosh, yeah. The 30-minute introduction that involved a Twitter rant. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me anywhere where Defunctland is sold, um, which is youtube.com slash Defunctland, if you want to watch the videos. Defunctland.com and Defunctland Google search. <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash defunctland if you type in slash defunctland basically anywhere you'll find me and yeah so like I mentioned I make videos about theme parks and defunct rides let's redo the <laughs> intro right now <laughs> yeah okay I'll keep it to two sentences 
I make videos about theme parks and themed entertainment experiences of the past, and I explore why they come about and why they go away in documentary short form on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash defunctland. Amazing. Bam! You nailed it. (laughs) Where was that earlier? Got him. But no, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man, it was awesome. Everybody listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode as well. And if you're familiar with Defunct, I'm botching this. Uh, (laughs) If you're familiar with Defunct Land, I hope this was enlightening. If you're not, I urge you, please go check all of it out because it's incredible content and just a deep, deep well of excellent content. Anyway, folks, hope you're good. Take care of yourselves as always. God, I regret this catchphrase. You can change it anytime you want. But we have it on shirts and stuff. It's branding, Brian. To change a phrase, make new shirts. The SEO. Come on. Anyway, stay safe, come hard. Everybody fuck off. Goodbye. (laughs) This is the end of the episode. Wow. I did not know that was the slogan. (laughs) Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.